Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, guys, are you planning your next litter of puppies? Or maybe you just finished your foundation bitch and you're ready to start health testing. Embark, creator of the highest rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers specialized testing just for breeders. And while they're offering a few different tests, only the Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit was made to provide breed-relevant disease screening for your purebred dogs. It includes traits testing, such as coat color and body size, DLA diversity testing, breed ancestry, easy-to-download OFA submission reports, and the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program, including me, through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I'm your host, Laura Reeves, and this is part two of a very interesting and thought-provoking conversation that we had at a recent Pure Dog Talk symposium. And I think that we had some great audience participation. I think you guys are going to find a lot of really good and really valuable information to take away from this conversation. And if you didn't have a chance, you can take a listen to part one that we did last week. Thanks for joining us. Problem solving. I'm a big gate problem solving person. So if my puppies are in the puppy yard and I'm going to call them out in the gates over here, I stand over there when I call them out because now they have to find the gate and go around the gate. Mm-hmm. Simplest problem solving we can present to puppies. x you can do it. There's a great video of one of our puppies who is literally seven inches from the opening. (laughs) Standing (laughs) on the His sister comes back to him and is like... (laughs) (laughs) So there's frustration, there's don't panic, there's how do I solve these problems in a sensible way. And there's lots of obstacle courses online. If you do puppy obstacle courses, you will get all kinds of ideas. And obstacle courses are a fabulous way to begin. So it's just, you know, you put an X-Pen on either side, or you do your fence in an X-Pen, and you put in a bottle pool, you put in the adventure box, and they have to run through it. You go to the other end and call them. Wonderful. Independent problem solving. How do I get to it? We do it with meals. Our meals are always moved around. You're going to have to go find where we're calling you and get through these things. Can we have a little more? 
boots, coats, anything that annoys them is a great way to add stress and uh, build. The only thing I don't do are multis and performances that it's not a thing. I'm that. Stress doesn't actually go away much. Novelty, new stuff all the time. New places, new things. And so you're going to continue to introduce. This is Home Depot. He's going for a ride in a car at Home Depot. When we take puppies to Home Depot, we will introduce them to people, but it's not the goal. This is the goal. You're going to ride the cart. You're going to go. And, you know, as soon as I hear the beep, beep, beep of the forklift, we're going to go. Because that's what puppies need. You have to ask loads of permission, or do they just let you do it? So, typically, yeah, most of them people you usually do not need to ask permission, and I would highly recommend you don't ask permission. But remember, you are not taking your puppy there to meet everyone in the store. You are taking your puppy there to introduce other things. Civility is the appropriateness of behavior around dogs and people. So what is that? It is keeping your mouth shut. It's not biting anyone. It's not jumping on anyone. It's not climbing on a bitch's head. It's just sitting there, or you can stand there, you can wag your tail, but you're not assaulting the dog that you're meeting or the person that you're meeting, either aggressively or friendly. Civility is not the same with friendliness. There are dogs that just are never going to be friendly, but they can be perfectly polite and appropriate. So, I'm a New Yorker, and I'm a bit of an introvert, and so I don't walk down the street saying, hi, oh, oh, Not interact. 
So what's that appropriate behavior? Be quiet. Don't be bark, 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 because you saw a dog. Don't drag me down the street to the dog. Isn't that what we see? Labrador dragging, pitbull dragging someone down the street. Don't worry, he's friendly. That's not appropriate behavior. And so we want to not allow that. And as a baby's age, I have the, we don't do that in this house, which is we aren't reactive to other dogs. And if we are, I'm going to correct that behavior. I know we're not supposed to say the correction word anymore, but I think it's really appropriate to tell young dogs that that's simply not appropriate. So how are you doing that? So I might, in a really young dog, so say a dog under 16 weeks, I will typically do a timeout. And I'll say, knock it off and move distance, get distance away from them. Or, at a puppy class, which I'm a big fan of puppy kindergarten, they get pumped in the next time and everybody else gets to play. Don't be a jerk. If you're a jerk, you don't get to play. If I have a younger, say a teenage dog that does the snarkiness, which I would say 50% of dogs are going to do that at some point in their teenage months, then it is a pullback with the collar. And for me, a sit. What do you do? Do you do it down? When I have an inappropriate behavior like that, it's an aggressive inappropriate behavior, it depends on the situation. If it's on leash, I'll do a watch me. I'll redirect to a watch me. And I use watch me, you guys, for, and you probably, if you listen to your dog talk, you've heard me talk about this. Watch me is your ultimate, it's exactly what Gail's talking about. It is your ultimate redirect, whether the dog's afraid, whether the dog's inappropriate in whatever way. If they've got to watch me, I just turn into a watch me. If they're crated or whatever, I put them on a down in the crate. And the wonderful thing about a watch me, and what I think Laura is saying is, I will protect you less. I am trustworthy. I'm the touchstone. Turn to me, I will give you the right answer. Sorry, it's not the right answer. So let's try it again. But what typically happens? What do I see? A young, let's say a young male, is hanging out and a dog comes up and he goes, and his owner goes, it's okay, because his owner's embarrassed. His owner is embarrassed and pulls the dog away and says, it's okay, honey. And he might say, I'm sorry or something, but they're petting the dog as they move away. And now we just reward him that behavior. We also remove the stress from the dog. And so we're like, it's all right, it's okay, we don't have to be near that dog. And that, I think, is what continues. And all it was was a teenager just being a bit of a butthead. It wasn't a bad dog. It wasn't an aggressive dog. It was a dog that was learning how to do this, and we just taught it the wrong lesson. And now we'll do the create trust, which more of a beautiful segue into. We are responsible for creating trust. We do it by being trustworthy and reliable. We are often not trustworthy with our dogs. Pet population is rarely trustworthy with their dogs. But if you tell people you need to be trustworthy, they get it. Nobody's ever told them that. 
everybody's like, introduce your puppy, introduce your puppy, introduce your puppy. They think that's the right thing to do as opposed to say, no, teach your puppy they can depend upon you. There's really good research, I'm going to show it to you in a second, that we should be taking our puppies out in public later, not early. We should be a complete and total control freak about our puppies. I think this is really important for us today when there are fewer dog savvy people with dogs out there. And they're allowing their dogs to possibly harm or frighten our puppies completely unintentionally. But it's because they have no dog savviness And then I teach the when in doubt, this is what you should do. Whenever you are in doubt, do this behavior. So how can we be reliable? We need to protect our puppies from harm, really getting hurt by something, and fear. Fear is different than wariness. Wariness is natural. You are wary. You probably wouldn't be this age if you weren't wary. Wary is simply this assessment of whether something is safe or not. Fear is the emotion that comes from that thing is not safe, whatever it is. Fear is bad, weariness is good. We need to learn to differentiate weariness from fear. We tend to think dogs should be always bold, and yet you know, we're not going to walk to the edge of a cliff. We're not going to walk up to somebody who looks scary or frightening. And so we need to respect that as us. And then most importantly, we need to give puppies the time and space to solve problems and So let's look at this burner. How do we know that this is progressing into fear in this dog? So we have whale eye. The white of the eye, which is a very specific sign of fear and anxiety in dogs. Tight lips, you'll see another picture of this. And obviously, bodies. So if you've been told to socialize your puppy and have it meet 100 people, what's going to be the next step? You have a cookie, put a cookie in front of that dog's face, or here, I'll hold it and you can touch it. And everything in that dog is saying, I am not prepared for this interaction. And the instant we force that interaction, we have become untrustworthy. Mm -hmm. We have broken that puppy's trust. It is trying to communicate with us as best it can that this is not a comfortable situation. What are options? Ask the person to sit down. Ask the person to step away and have a conversation with you. Anything other than touch that puppy right here. Do we want the puppy to choose to go near the person? Absolutely. But if we force it, we are now breaking trust. And then we have to teach and train our puppies. And I know you guys do that, but so many people don't offer puppies that ability to communicate with us and to understand. And so we need to really push people. Training is not something people do these days. They just socialize. They just take their puppies out. Go public later. So we can reduce adult aggression in dogs by taking them out after 13 weeks of age. So a study done in Australia that showed the earlier puppies were taken into public, the more likely they were going to be aggressive in adulthood. The exact opposite of what we've been told for the last one years which is get puppies out, get puppies out, get puppies out. 
So I'll tell you why I think this is happening, and I think it goes back to the non-dog savviness of the populations here. And the, I love puppies, in the complete overwhelm, that puppy space. So don't feel the need to take your puppy out to introduce it to people. Instead, focus on everything but meeting dogs and people. So take it to Lowe's, take it to the street, do all those things. It doesn't need to meet anyone during that. It is your relationship with your puppy that is socialization. It isn't meeting everyone else. It is not going to form a social bond with all of those other people. And then interestingly enough, Applebee's team found that urban centers were very important to introduce puppies to. And I can't tell you why that's true, but find a town, a main street, the city, to get your puppies to. Again, not to meet people, to simply experience it. Be a control freak. Remember, puppies are hypersensitive to negative reactions. And so the only negative reactions we want are, not mama, but an adult dog that is appropriately correcting the puppy for being a puppy. That's the interaction we want. Other than that, we do not need or want interactions. I don't think I'm a control freak in many other things in my life, but this, <laughs> this I am a real control freak. And the benefit, people out here are really nice. I'm from New York. I always tell people, go all New York on people that you're saying, no, no, I'm training my puppy. They're like, oh, it's all right. No, actually, it is not all right. You may not touch my puppy. You may not come up and hug my puppy. No, your child can't touch my puppy. I try and find all of the nice ways to say it, but I won't allow it unless I've decided that it's right. So just then, go on New York. Everybody knows what that means. <laughs> puppy classes, I can't recommend them more highly. There's tons of research about how beneficial they are for puppies. This is not handling class. This is not field class. This is not competition obedience class. And it is not pet smart. <laughs> Two ends of the spectrum. It's a good supervised puppy class with a trainer. This research is really important for us to understand. One single negative experience prior to 12 months of age can imprint puppies for life, but we may not see the impact until they are 15 to 18 months old. We may not see it in that moment. We may not see it right after that moment. This is why we have to be absolutely be realistic about dog interactions. This is what we think is going to happen. Oh, he's going to meet his daddy. Oh, it's going to be so wonderful. And that's what. Get it? Oh, very few adult dogs want to meet a puppy. sharp teeth. This dog's like, another millimeter, I will eat it. <laughs> and then we just set that puppy up. We just set that puppy up. 
that's not being trustworthy. So your puppy actually does not need to meet adult dogs unless you know them really, really, really well. And even then, you should watch like a hawk. Because sometimes they're not feeling well. Or they just have had a bad day. Or they're just done with that thing. And so we want to make sure those are positive or neutral interactions. And then teach some default. When in doubt, we talked about it a little bit. We want, any time a puppy isn't sure, we want to give it a couple of options, one or two options. I'm also a great believer. No, we're not supposed to use the word command anymore either. But ah, what are you going to do? I don't mean. <laughs> <laughs> when your puppy is feeling insecure, put it on command. Give it a down, give it a watch me. Tell it to do something. Because when the puppy is there and unsure, stress is building up, stress is building up, stress is building up, and their puppies, they don't know how to relieve that stress. So we say, sit, watch me. And now the puppy says, when I feel that stress, this is what I do. And now I'm not stressed anymore because my owner is trustworthy. And so now we get this beautiful, what do I do when I'm stressed? This is how I relieve my stress. As opposed to running, barking, Hang tight, guys got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, you guys, if you are part of a national breed club in the U.S. or Canada, I need you to listen up. My partners at Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet, have just launched a super exciting national breed club referral program. I mean, I'm saying you guys have heard me talk about Trupanion's breeder support program before. And this is what gives you access to a special coverage offer for your litters that waives waiting periods for your puppies when you send them home. Now you can partner with Trupanion directly to share this incredible free program with the breeders in your club. And the best part, your club earns sponsorship support in return for every member that joins the program. It's pretty much of a win-win, guys. If you're interested and want to learn more, head to my partner page at puredogtalk.com and click on the link at Trupanion. What the behavior in, again, we talked a little bit about this. Sit and down are stabilizing commands. Come as a safety command, come to me. Look at me as that refocus that Laura was talking about. And then this takes real sophistication and training. Stop and watch and that will really your It's a hard thing to teach. And some puppies aren't going to learn it, so then you default to something else. So the stop and watch is to stop and watch whatever it is that's bothering you. Yes. And I don't teach the look at it, look at me, look at it, look at me. I'll just say sit and watch, and as long as the puppy is able to manage its stress, right? Otherwise, I also use, as Laura does, a look at you find like if you are doing more like a watch me command that might be stressful for the puppies because they do typically they want to watch whatever is stressing them out versus like you're putting that pressure on them to look at you and they may or may not be able to and that car race is going on or yeah. something like that. I think that's a great point. So the, if you didn't hear it, the question is, can a watch me be stressful if we're requiring it, say in a chaotic situation 
or another dog, say, is barking or threatening? Absolutely. I do think that that is a command that demands that we have been trustworthy in the past and that we are not rigid about it. Because I think it's really important for puppies to be able to look at a situation, come back to us, check and see, is that dog still running at me or is it still barking? Look at us. It isn't this, for me at least, this laser, you must never take your eyes off of me. It's not that kind of command. It's simply, are you feeling a little uncomfortable? Check in. I'm just curious if I was coming from like a competition of the interaction, do you use a different command for that? I absolutely do. Oh, oh yeah. No. Oh yeah. Because for me, Remy is <laughs> now you don't take your eyes off of me. But that's a trained command as opposed to a stress manager. And you know if their dogs have really stressed in your behavior, that is a really difficult thing. Or a high environmental When you say rigid, would demanding be a reasonable alternative? Correct. Yeah, this whole thing is a stress management, so I'm gonna let you have some options. I'm just not gonna let you have that option or the running away option. So you wanna check in with me, but you don't have to stare at me the whole time. So, wow, we've done a lot. Stability, reliability, being trustworthy, teaching, inoculating our puppies to stress. Why do we do this? Is it worth it? And we're going to do it for 15 months? Are you kidding, Gail? Well, of course, you know this. Quality of life for you and the dog really arise from this. Arise from a dog that is trusting of you, can go anywhere, does not have to say hi to everybody, is very comfortable in its skin. There's also really good evidence that this improves health and longevity in our dogs. So dogs with more stable temperaments tend to live longer, have fewer systemic diseases, and are simply uh, physically better animals. And then we're going to have a longer work and show career. We all know the dogs that finished and that was it. They couldn't take any more again. They, it just wasn't fun. They didn't thrive. It didn't make them happy. We would like, yeah, we put a lot of money into this. It would be really nice to be able to keep going if the dog is good. But this, for me, is the most important piece. That when we build those temperaments, yeah. we actually can pass that on to future generations. So fears, both inherited fears, and there are dogs that are afraid of sounds and afraid of people, but also acquired fears. So a dog that develops a fear in its lifetime can pass that on to its offspring. And it can pass it on to its great grandchildren. So we have evidence that this, this is called an epigenetic change. We don't have time for epigenetics tonight, but it changes the way the genes are expressed and it gets passed on. Aggression is passed on. And there's a good study in Golden Retrievers. Aggression is highly heritable at the point 
age level. So hip dysplasia is 0.26. 26% of hip dysplasia is inherited. The rest of it is environmental. 80% of aggression has a genetic basis. Huge. That's even if it was acquired in the dog's lifetime because it wasn't handled well. And it either was frightened or it was allowed to develop this. So for all of these reasons, I would encourage you to put that effort into the 12 to 15 months to convince your buyers and your students to put that time in. And then hopefully we have 12, 13, 14, 16 years for the toys to enjoy these animals because they're going to be so much more healthy and so much more beneficial to our lives. So if that epigenetic inherited, can you fix that? Can you fix epigenetics? Yeah. Yes, but it's a bigger list. So if we just take the dog that's just being so say this is just a young male with a high level of testosterone who just feels like, you know, not the chip off my shoulders. Not a bad dog, but and but we let that develop. And he passes it on to his kids. So he didn't come with aggression. But epigenetically he's passing aggression on. So now we have to undo that. So now we've got to be even more aware of his kids. We have to be more controlled of their upbringing. So epigenetics is such both a new science and a weird science in that these changes are passed on. And just to really add to it, the male passes on more than the female. Really? Yes, like 60% to 40%. So we kind of knew that, didn't we? You know, symptoms are always scrutinized at a different level than bitches, but we didn't know why. But now we know that there's this higher likelihood that epigenetic injury. Are you talking about temperament or just structure? Everything. So with males, it's everything. Temperament, working ability... It's not going to be the simple recessive traits. Those we pretty much know how those are inherited, but it's going to be the more complex traits. How do you recognize this moment that appear to be imprinted in an adolescent dog? I know it's pretty clear with a puppy, I mean, they freak out, they crumble. But an adolescent dog has some coping mechanisms and they might not express it that way. So typically, if it's going to imprint, you will see an unexpected reaction from the dog. Like your dog's been going to shows for six months, and suddenly you walk through the door, you know, the door's open, and the dog's like, boom, I'm not going in there. I'm out of here. Like, that's when you pack, like, you are back out that door, and you are not forcing that teenager into that. You can walk out, you can do a little healing, you can do some... Touch your hand, touch something to get your dog. So it's a, a much more like dramatic, like, oh wow, this is so different. Yeah, experience yeah, that. yeah. And it's unexpected. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a fearful dog that you've always had trouble getting into showgrounds or something like that, that's not going to imprint. It's going to be this unexpected, fearful reaction. And if we force it, now we're going to get it. Or if we're not in control with it. Yeah, a lot of times it's going to be. 
frankly, an attack. I would say it's the biggest issue we have is an unexpected attack. And honestly, teenage boys just, they're like magnets. They're like, kick me, please, you know. It's just they smell weird, they act weird, <laughs> and so they tend to attract those reactions. So if you have a dog that has say the doors open, the dog puts on the heels of the brakes, you like that. So what do you do? You turn around, you assure them, you redirect them. You, you get out of there. Right? You remove the distance. Distance, don't buy into it. You know, you're not like, oh, baby, it's okay. You just give yourself distance, try and regroup. Spend a little time walking around and then try again. And if you try it two or three times and you're not getting in that door without walking, the biggest challenge we have is going home. The absolute biggest. We paid our entry, it's a really good judge. I've been waiting for this judge. And we forced that issue. And now, what have we done? The dog is feeling overwhelming stress and we just removed the safety wall, which is us. And we just became untrustworthy. Yes. It's kind of related to what she was saying. Black card and Gordy. And they're interesting things. So my Harding bitch Parker periods was one of the weirdest things. So I got her when she was about six months, she was like an import. And like about two weeks later, she was terrified of bikes. And you know, we walked by bikes and kids walked and all of a sudden one day she was just like Oh my god. Yep. Oh my god. Six <laughs> yeah, she was just like, oh my god, holy crap, what's that? And then we had one um, around the 12 month period, which was one single garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> it was so hard. Yeah, I take my dog to the garbage can, there were six different ones, and she was just like, no, their ones are fine. Nothing. They were happening around the trash can. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, you know, I'm walking. I have to be heavy in garbage. And she's like, no. So she just bore down. And, you know, in the two weeks, we just kind of walked by the trash can. And we got gradually closer and closer. And I'd be like, hey, look at you. Good job. And I'd put her, like, in a downstate. Whatever it is, she's comfortable with her. I think I would. Look at you, you've done it, and she was like, oh, okay, now she go right That was easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could have done it all along. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's something you did a really nice job, too. And I think that it is okay to not solve the problem in that instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people are, like, patting the trash can and using food to draw the dog to the trash can. It's really fine to take two weeks to walk by the trash can and let the dog uh-huh. make the choice because then, again, they've solved the problem. You're attached to the leash, but she solved the problem. And you said, good job, and she's like, I'm cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm great. And so she gets that feeling. Going back to the picture of the burner and where the person was coming with their hands, you know, the thing that went around Facebook that you don't do that anymore. But that's still so ingrained in all of us that the first thing you do is offer your hand. So when you're out in public, and someone wants to approach your dog and you're okay with that, but the first thing they do is this. How should you recommend? How should you say, do it this way instead? So what I typically will ask people to do is talk with me for a second and we'll see if the dog comes up to you. And typically the dogs will come up and sniff their eye or their leg. And you know, I try to keep the person looking at me, not staring at the dog or talking to the dog 
And when the dog has acknowledged the person and basically said, hey, then I'll say, try to put your hand down. And most of the time, so as much as we can say, hey, talk to me, we're doing a little training, tell them about the dog, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you're just there making a conversation and let the dog approach that. And if they can sit down and do yeah. So I, that can be hard. Because I was went up to a friend's Doberman, hand went out immediately, like, oh, we're not supposed to do that anymore. It's <laughs> not <So> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, it is. It, it, it's it so is. ingrained. That's what we were all taught. And little kids are taught, let them sniff your hand first. And I don't, you know, I don't, it's going to be forever to ever undo that. It will be really, really difficult. But as much as we can say, just walk up and scan it, you know, be a tree. The dog program that the AKC has on Be a Tree for kids is great. Right? Yeah. Just walk up and stand there and let the dog come and say hi to you. A lot of us are dealing with COVID puppies that are now young adolescents. There may be other reasons where maybe you were sick for a couple of months, whatever, but you missed that window where you would normally take the dog puppy class. I have one that's going to be what, 22 months old right now. She's a good pup for the most part, but there's a few quirks, you know. She missed that window of getting out and seeing things. So, as best we can, if we happen to go back into the pandemic, as best you can, still get the puppy back. Now, if you're sick, obviously, if you get sick, that's not going to happen. But you can drive around, drive to a shopping center, open the tailgate, sit on the tailgate with the puppy, mask, not talking to people, assuming it's within the law. The goal is, remember, they don't have to meet people and dogs, they have to be out. And so we were in North Carolina, we were a little lax, across the board during the pandemic, but we could still get our dogs out. We just couldn't engage with people. We couldn't get within six feet and we couldn't be without them. So as best you can get them out, still. 22 months, after 16 weeks of age, you can't do puppy class. Puppy class is out. Now they're juvenile delinquents, then they're teenagers. Not the time for a puppy class. So then it's just gonna be training classes. things. At 22 months, the issue that I see is we don't give puppies, young dogs, time. We don't just say, hey, we're going to go sit in the parking lot of the Lowe's. That's it. That's all we're going to do. We aren't going in the door. We're not doing anything. We feel like we need to do more, and so we begin to push them beyond their comfort zone. And as soon as the majority of dogs go beyond their comfort zone, now we're getting the breaks. Now we're getting... I just have to get out of here. I just have to back up. I just need more space. So the more that we can, what we really would love is we're sitting on the tailgate of the car with the dog and it jumps off to see the cart or to see a person. Now what's happened? The dog has made the decision to engage. It may take a long time, though, for puppies that really miss a huge part of what we would call normal socialization. And 
I hate to say it, but sometimes it's just not recoverable in dogs. It really isn't. They have gates that if you miss, it can be a real uphill battle. So then you're just saying, I need you to be civil, I need you to be obedient, I need to be able to give you commands, but you're never going to be a dog that's super comfortable in the world. I just need you to be comfortable enough. That's probably not helpful. No, it is. It is. Sad, but true. And she did get a little obedience class in Bible, and she did quite well. Oh, good. Great. Obedience classes are wonderful because they do have to learn. Hannah classes are a little less demanding on the dog than obedience. And so even if you have a confirmation dog in obedience class is a good option for them. Just tell the trainer you're not teaching sit. Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to teach other things. But I want you to be able to function with all of these other dogs around moving at the same time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I know it's been a super long day. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, Patrons acquire special access, opportunities, and perks. The most recent addition for our patrons is Pure Pep Talk. These weekly mentoring messages are quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools for your tech box. Visit www.puredogtalk.com backslash patrons to find out how you can join the best community in dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.